Please join me in the prayer for elimination found in your bulletin. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as your scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. The lesson from the gospel is Luke 7, 1 to 17. Jesus finished saying all these things to the people. Then he went into the Capernaum. In Capernaum, there was an army officer. He had a servant who was very sick. He was near death. The officer loved the servant very much. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some older Jewish leaders to him. He wanted to, the men to ask Jesus to come and save the life of his servant. The men, the men went to Jesus. They begged Jesus to help the officer. They said, this officer is worthy to have your help. He loves our people and he built the synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. He was coming near the officer's house when the officer sent friends to say, Lord, you don't need to do anything special for me. I am not good enough for you to come into my house. That is why I did not come to you myself. You, you need only to give the order and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm a man under the authority of other men and I have soldiers under my authority. I tell one, go, and he goes. And I tell another soldier, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and my servant obeys me. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He turned to the people following him and said, I tell you, this is the most faith I have seen anywhere even in Israel. The group that was sent to Jesus went back to the house. There they were found, the servant was healed. The next day, Jesus and his followers went to a town called Nain. A big crowd was traveling with them. When Jesus came near the town gate, he saw some people carrying a dead body. It was the only son of a woman who was a widow. When Walking with her were many other people from town. When the Lord saw the woman, he felt very sorry for her and said, Don't cry. He walked to the open coffin and touched it. The men who were carrying the coffin stopped. Jesus spoke to the dead son. Young man, I tell you, get up. The boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Everyone was filled with fear. They began praising God and said, a great prophet is here with us and God is taking care of his people. This news about Jesus spread all over Judea and to all the other places around there. The word of God for the people of God. So we're in Luke's gospel, and I know I'm not supposed to play, play favorites, but Luke is kind of my favorite gospel, at least today. But I've always loved the way Luke tells a story. 
the beautiful story of Jesus' birth, which we usually hear on Christmas Eve, comes from the Gospel of Luke. The stories and the parables that are in Luke's Gospel alone are some of our favorites, the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, the stories of Jesus' resurrection, the two friends walking the road to Emmaus, is, is only in Luke's gospel. And there's so many recurring themes in Luke's gospel that are highlighted more than in some of the other gospels. For instance, Jesus' prayer life is highlighted more. The role of women in Jesus' ministry is highlighted a bit more. What we do with our possessions is emphasized more in the teachings of Jesus that Luke passes down to us. And one of the themes that we see in Luke's gospel, which we see in other gospels as well, but seems particularly highlighted in Luke, is what some scholars call the great reversal. We heard it in Matthew, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But this idea that in the kingdom of God, all of the power structures and hierarchies of the world will dissolve and we are all one in the kingdom of God, all equal in the eyes of God, all children in the eyes of God. We hear it in the song that Mary sings when she first learns that she has conceived Jesus in her womb. She sings of how the mighty will be brought down from their thrones and the lowly will be lifted up. The hungry will be filled and the rich will be sent away empty, is what she sings. In Luke's version of the Beatitudes, it's, it's very different. Matthew's version is, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. It's a series of blessings. But in Luke's gospel, it's a series of blessings and woes. Blessed are the poor, and woe to you who are rich. Blessed are those who are empty now, and woe to you who are full now. So there's a little bit more to at least make me uncomfortable in Luke's gospel. But we also see Jesus in his ministry dealing with all different kinds of people. And wherever Jesus goes, the kingdom of God is manifest. And we see Jesus welcoming and receiving and teaching people of all different power structures and status and wealth, eating with Pharisees, talking with the rich young man, reaching out to the poor, the blind, the lame. They're all invited and they're all seen by Jesus as children of God. So this morning, we have two healing stories side by side that seem to flesh out this, this truth about the kingdom of God, that all are invited and all are seen by Jesus. And in the kingdom, we're all equal in the eyes of God. Now, one of the fascinating layers to these two healing stories, which Will did such a wonderful job reading for us, is that in these two stories, we hear echoes of stories from the Old Testament prophets. We have a centurion whose servant is healed and a widow whose only son is raised from the dead. In 2 Kings, we have the story of the prophet Elisha who heals a military general named Naaman. And then in the 1 Kings 17, we hear the story of Elijah who raises from the dead a widow's son. It just so happens Jesus mentions these two stories in his first sermon in Luke chapter 4. So Luke is making it pretty clear to us that there's a connection with, with the prophets and Jesus' ministry. He wants to show us that Jesus is a prophet, but is more than any of the prophets who've come before, for he is the Son of God. So I want to look for just a few minutes at these two healing stories 
to see how Jesus transforms what power is all about. I'd like to start with the second story, the story of the widow. It seems a little more straightforward. Jesus is walking into the town of Nain, which is somewhere around Nazareth, pretty backwater rural place. And as he comes through the gate or comes toward the gate, he sees a funeral procession. There is a young man, we don't know how old he was, whether he was a child or an adolescent or a young adult, who has died and is being carried out in a funeral procession. Jesus also sees his mother. Now somehow when Jesus looks upon them, he, he knows the story. She is a widow. This is her only child. And so not only is she in deep grief for all of the loss of, of losing a husband and then losing a child, but she is now likely destitute. Because in that society, a woman who did not have a husband or a son to take her in was dependent on other relatives or on the village as a whole. And so this is a moment of, of poverty in every way. You notice the woman never looks at Jesus. She doesn't ask him to do anything. She doesn't know who he, who he is. She doesn't demonstrate any kind of faith at all. She is just eyes to the ground in deep grief. But Jesus looks upon her with compassion. And from his own compassion, his own heart, he reaches out and touches the coffin of the young man, something that would have rendered him unclean, and yet he does it anyway. And he brings the young man back to life, restoring this woman in many ways. If we look at the story of the centurion, I want to tell a little bit of the Old Testament story of the general Naaman. Because I think there's a big contrast in how this general approaches things and how the centurion approaches Jesus. So Naaman was a very important military leader in the Aramean army. He had leprosy, and he had, there was a young Hebrew girl who was enslaved by Naaman's family, and she told Naaman's wife that there was a prophet in Israel, and if he would just go see this prophet, the prophet would heal him. So reluctantly, Naaman goes, and he arrives at the house of Elisha, and he calls out for the prophet, but Elisha doesn't even bother to come out and talk to Naaman. He sends a messenger and says, tell Naaman to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman basically says, does he know who I am? He responds with pride. He doesn't even bother to come and speak to me himself, and then he tells me to go in the dinky little Jordan River. We've got better rivers in Syria than this. And he starts to huff away until another servant speaks to him and says, look, if he told you to do something hard, you would do it. So just give it a try. And lo and behold, he is healed, and he is grateful, and he says, truly, the God of Israel is the one true God. Now, here in Luke's gospel, we have this centurion, this military leader of the occupying army in Israel. He has all kinds of power over Jesus and all the residents of Capernaum. And yet we learn that he is someone who cares about people with less power than he has, he cares about the Jewish people and even helps them build a synagogue. He cares about this servant and is, is hurting with the fact that this young person is dying or is sick. And he doesn't 
approach Jesus in person. We never see the centurion. He sends messengers to Jesus. The second time he sends messengers, they address Jesus as Lord. Somehow, without any miracle having happened yet, this centurion believes in Jesus, that he is Lord somehow, that he is more than a prophet. And the messengers say to Jesus, you don't need to come in my house. I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. So we have this powerful military leader who in Jesus' presence humbles himself. He asks for help, not for himself, but for a servant. And he tells Jesus, I know that you have the power to heal him. All you have to do is say the word. You don't even have to come into my house. And so we have these two stories of these two very different people. A Roman soldier with great power and influence and wealth and a poor widow who's a nobody in a backwater town. And their stories are side by side. And somehow we see the kingdom that Jesus is building is made up of all different kinds of people who are invited in his presence to set aside all of their labels and things that they wear out in the world and just come before him as people in need of healing and in need of belonging. That's us, you know. The church, we are a little manifestation of the kingdom of God in this world. That's who we're called to be. And so no matter who we are and what labels we wear or responsibilities we bear or discrimination we might face beyond these walls, when we are gathered as the body of Christ, we are just children of God, equal in God's eyes, every one of us in need of healing, every one of us in need of grace, every one of us in need of belonging. Some of you have heard the sad news. That our friend Donald, Donald Stennis, who has been worshiping with this congregation for years on Sunday mornings, long before I got here, passed away a few weeks ago. We didn't know it until this past week. Donald came into our midst pretty much every Sunday. He would sit and sometimes fall asleep, <laughs> but he was here. And we tried over the years to, to get him some help to move toward permanent housing, and he didn't always respond to those things. And we had to gently draw boundaries with him and tell him, you know, the worship time is not a time to ask people for money, but we love you and we want you to be here. And he would come and he would spend time in one of the restrooms and wash himself and shave and he'd come and sit and worship with us. And I like to think that in this place, among this people, he had a sense of belonging and he knew he was safe and loved and cared for. And there are many of you over the past few weeks who have asked, where's Donald? We haven't seen Donald. We missed Donald. And it was heartbreaking to find out that he had died. 
Some of us will be gathering tomorrow at 3 o'clock at Hills of Calvary, where he's been buried, to give thanks to God for his witness. When I would serve him communion, it was a means of God's grace for me. And I hope it was for him too. But it was a reminder that just like him, I am a beloved child of God who belongs in this place. And I'm known by name. And he was known by name. And having him in our midst every Sunday morning alongside all of us and our different stories and our different brokenness is just a glimpse of the kingdom of God. So I like to imagine, I know this never actually happened, probably, because Capernaum and Nain were not close to each other. And the hymns that we sing today were not written 2,000 years ago. But I like to imagine that after the news of Jesus' resurrection spread through Galilee, that there was a little community, a church, that started to worship together. And you could see a man who was a Roman soldier sitting there with someone who used to be his servant but was now free, sitting next to a widow who was sitting next to her son, and all of them together were singing Amazing Grace. May it be so.